0: Welcome to Canada Homeschools, the dose of inspiration and encouragement for Canadian homeschoolers. Canada Homeschools features interviews with homeschool group organizers, resource suppliers, and conversations with everyday homeschoolers just like you, all from a Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Rowan Atkinson. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Now let's get started.
1: <laughs> In 400 meters... I was In 100 meters...
0: Hello. With me today on the podcast, Bonnie Landry. Bonnie is a joyful homeschooler, speaker, and author, and all things Bonnie can be found at ohthatsimple.com. Bonnie, what can you add to that introduction? Tell us about your family and your homeschooling journey.
1: Okay. I have seven kids. We've been homeschooling for 28 years. My oldest daughter is almost 32 and my youngest daughter is 12. So I've got a big, uh, you know, age span. Um, They, none of them have ever been to school. They've all graduated as homeschoolers um, and none of them have ever wanted to go to school. So that's, you know, (laughs) that's kind of a good sign. Um, We have, what's that?
0: Oh, I said. What was that? That's Sorry, a factor too. that's a factor for that's sure. A factor. Um, so mm-hmm.
1: yes, um, so our family uh, is five of them have graduated and gone off to school uh, at various types of universities and various post secondary study. Uh, my three oldest are now married, and I have five grandbabies in the last couple of years, um, and. I have two at home that are actually homeschooling. One is I have an adult son at home who's working uh, with his dad and I have a 16 year old and a 12 year old, um, at home homeschooling. So, uh, you know, so we're winding this up. I've probably only got about another, maybe four years to go, um, uh, as per plan. And my husband's sort of working towards retirement around the same time I retire from homeschooling, we're hoping, or at least partial retirement. Um, and we are, I don't know. We just, I just really love what I do. I really love what I do. It's, it's fun to think about um, being done after this many years, but, uh, I'll probably end up helping other homeschoolers and my, you know, kids, if they want my help with homeschooling their own kids and that sort of thing. So That's do you so want me to mention, about talk about me? Yeah. Do you want me to talk about my journey a little bit, how I got here? Sure. Okay. Uh, we when my daughter was a baby I'd never heard of homeschooling so when my oldest daughter was a baby I was a single mother and I heard somebody say they wanted to teach their own kids because they wanted to travel and I thought oh that is a cool idea I want to teach my own kids now at this point I thought I would be a single mother with one child for the rest of my natural days which of course didn't happen um but uh it put me on this path and I started pursuing that and didn't really know there was other homeschoolers out there. I didn't never heard the word homeschooling. So I ended up bumping into somebody just around the time she was five. And I was wondering, okay, what am I going to do? Am I allowed to teach her myself? What am I, what am I going to do here? And we ended up, um, come just crossing paths. There was very few homeschoolers in our town at that time, maybe five or six families. And, I happened to meet one of them, and she said, oh, well, I'm going to homeschool. And I thought, oh, the people do that? This is, this is so cool. So I ended up meeting up with them, and of course, the rest is history. But we, uh, my paradigm was very strongly that I want to teach my own child because I don't want education ever to be about coercion. I want it to be beautiful, and I want it to be uh, something that we do together and that, that coercion isn't involved in that.
0: And so as a result of that, you're sort of known for your signature conversation being about homeschooling with joy. And most of us have days that are joyful and days that are not so joyful. Can you tell us what are some of the things that rob us of our joy as we homeschool? I guess coercion being one of them you've already
1: mentioned. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a few things that can really rob us of joy. Many things, actually. But, you know, we need to, they probably all fall under a very general category of clutter. Clutter in the way we think, clutter in the way we educate, clutter in the stuff we own, clutter in the activities we're involved in, right? So simplicity, to me, is a very important part of of, uh, educating your children joyfully and having it be something that they want to do and that you want to do. And it's not a, uh, a struggle. Um I sorry, what was your original question before you said what uh, robs us of joy?
0: Yes, what robs Yeah.
1: Us of joy so so I think one of the things that really robs us of joy is trying to do school at home. Trying to um follow a pattern that the child isn't ready to follow. So we use an external thing, whether that's an, you know, whether it's an online program, whether it's a a curriculum you've chosen, and trying to make the child fit the curriculum is one of the biggest frustrations I think people experience. And so it doesn't mean that curriculum is bad or curriculum is evil. But if you're trying to squish a child into a curriculum that doesn't fit them, you're going to experience frustration and so are they. Um, Sometimes you'll find, just I'll use a math curriculum, for example, you have a grade two math curriculum, some of the sections in that math curriculum will be easy for them, boring in fact, because they know, know it already, some sections in that math curriculum will probably be too difficult for them, and some of them are going to be right on the mark for what your child is capable of learning uh what what we have a tendency to do is as soon as our child isn't able to do something and they do it themselves these children also do it to themselves they pick up on our um needing to follow that time frame we assume that they're failing something they're not doing a good job or we're not doing a good job because they aren't able to do the work that the archetypical grade 2 child that this book was designed for who by the way doesn't exist okay it's it's a the archetypical child is a figment of somebody's imagination, but they have to write the book for somebody. So they they choose, you know, what would be average. But the, the reality is le- the learning curve isn't like that. You know, children don't learn on a straight line. Right. There's ups and downs and waivers to the side. And we we have we're teaching children. We're not teaching math. Right. That's a really, really important concept to simplify our lives to keep our expectations realistic that any given math book probably or any book any any curriculum probably about a third of it is going to be something that your child gets you know and some will be easy some will be too hard so so we want to work with the child not with the program right
0: that's a really good reminder that we're teaching children and I've often tried to remind myself you know I could be teaching it but if they're not really learning that then i'm really not teaching it so when we have that old paradigm of public education then we get obsessed with grade levels and expectations and textbooks and curriculum or as you would say Bonnie we get hung up on measuring things and you've touched on yeah, that absolutely. a little bit could you give us some examples of maybe some of the different ages that your children were ready for certain things at, and what that looked like in your family? It's a really great concept in yeah. theory,
1: but how, this, does,
0: how does it play out? That,
1: that's a great question. So, just to, to, to a little bit of context, so when I was in school, when I was in grade school, the av- when the year we learned to read was grade two. Okay, that was when children were taught to read. Well, assuming that every seven-year-old is ready to read is like trying to fit every seven-year-old into the same shoe right there's a big difference and that's played out really obviously in my own family so my oldest daughter was reading really fluently um, at three and a half right which is remarkable i look back on that and i think how is that even possible but i've known other three-year-olds who can read Um, I would say most of my kids were ready and learning to read around six or seven which is you know for whatever reason the the school system probably saw years ago that that was around the average time when most people were ready to read um however uh i have one son who really really struggled with reading and he wasn't reading fluently fluently until he was 12. okay he could read he could sound things out he could read a word but by the time he'd read the beginning of a word he'd forgotten Uh, forgotten the beginning uh, by the time he got to the end of it when he got past that he'd read a sentence he could read a sentence out to me but he would not remember what the beginning of the sentence said by the time he got to the end now at 12 it suddenly all clicked and he started reading fluently and of course he's not reading things that a seven-year-old was reading he was reading things that a 12-year-old was reading so he just jumped right in so it wasn't like he was behind in his ability to, uh, to absorb information. He, cause you know, he started at, at uh, 12 and jumped in where all the other 12 year olds were reading. Right. So, so that's, you know, from three to 12 is a nine year difference uh, in when a child might learn to read effectively. And I've heard other people say stories of the same thing, you know, maybe got quite a few kids and they see the same pattern that most of the kids learn to read around six or seven but there's these extremes on either end. And to try and push a child to read before they're ready is really going to kill it. Kill it for them. <laughs> you know? Um, yes, because it's just so much work. Yeah. And they're and they end up feeling like failures, right? The same as math concepts. You know, kids end up feeling like failures because they don't get something that they think they're supposed to get right now. Right. So we have, we, have to be, we have to tread lightly, you know, and we have to be very, we're homeschooling them and we're walking along beside them and we have to be very sensitive to how much we can challenge them without frustrating. So the, the, um, the phrase that I like to use for, for maintaining that in my own brain is challenge without burden, right? We don't want to emotionally burden them. We don't want to burden them with too much information or too much uh, something that their brain isn't ready for, but we want to challenge them exactly where they're at just a little bit at a time.
0: So you do talk about the fact that education needs to be in an environment of love and and I mean it's proven that children learn best in a loving environment with people that they love and trust. Talk to us yeah. about natural family centered learning and how is it more sustainable and not as much a cause of burnout as traditional methods are?
1: Right. Okay, well let's just hold on to that question just for a second. Just want to backtrack sure. to something you said about um Hold on. What did you start that question with? There was something I felt was important to comment <laughs> Maybe on. Maybe it's two different uh, questions.
0: Yeah. Uh, about education being in an environment of love. I said um, that education needs to be in an environment of love. And then I asked you to talk to us about natural family-centered learning.
1: Okay, sure. So let's just focus on the environment of love for just a moment. Um we all love our kids. They're, you know, we wouldn't be homeschooling them. We wouldn't care about their education at all um, if we didn't love them. It's, you know, parents love their children and thoughtful parents are very considerate of creating um, an environment for their child um, you know, that that shows their love, right, that they, they want the child to know that they're loved for, you know, in this day and age, that's something that we know is important and important for healthy development to for the child to know they're loved. And of course, we love them, even if it's not always obvious. So a loving environment, this is why I use the word joy, because loving, love doesn't always look loving. And all the decisions that we make for them and all the things that we do with them are out of love. So we are in, we, have, we have to assume we are innately in a loving environment, but it's not always obvious to the child if we're getting angry all the time or if there's hostility in the house, the kid's giving us lots of um, pushback. It doesn't feel loving. And so we often end up in this environment, which of course is based in love but that feels full of angst right is is full of angst and so uh so this is why i've chosen the word joy joyful as the environment that you want to create because of course it's a loving environment it just might not be obvious (laughs) and i think that it's very difficult as a human being we're so relationship centered to Live in the angst of knowing that we love our child so deeply, and yet it doesn't feel loving when we, we're living in this environment of angst. So, uh, I think that that's just a, a point that I think is really important for the context of the rest of the conversation is that, of course, the environment is loving, it just doesn't always look or feel that way.
0: And some children are more sensitive than others to tone um, expression as well. So yeah, it's important that they, that it's joyful as well.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and so that we're not sort of constantly going through this interior conflict of, this is not what I wanted. None of us homeschooled wanting it to be in an environment of angst. You know, when we imagined, when we romanticized what homeschooling would look like, um, it wasn't angst <laughs> it was cozy yeah. and That's lovely right. and you know it was wonderful and we um we just never pictured that this was going to be something um that we were going to bump up against our kids because of course you know when we became parents we never thought we'd have any problems either right <laughs> I'm gonna do all the right well, things I was the old... <laughs> you know I was the What's oldest that? of, of few I was the
0: oldest of a few children, so I did have a somewhat okay. realistic uh, expectation about that, and I worked with children for a decade before I had them, but yeah, you still right. have a okay. list of things, of things that you think you're going to do well,
1: and then reality hits. Exactly, and you don't think that you're going to be affected by those things around you that are saying, you know, don't you don't think you're going to be affected by comparing your kid to other kids or... Um, you know, what it's going to feel like when your kid talks back or what you're going to be like when you're, you know, totally sleep deprived or, you know, we don't, we can't factor those things in because we, we're not in the middle of experiencing it. Right. So, um, so part two of that question was about then family centered learning. Um, The, the structure that we use in our house is that I have certain subjects that I work with my kids one-on-one and then other subjects that we do together that lend themselves well to, um, to being together, reading together, um, exploring, studying, researching together uh, that become our family-centered learning, which I think is what most people sort of hope for when they when they uh, plan to homeschool their kids. Of course, depending on their reasons why they're doing that. Um, and so usually what I do is, you know, my life is different now. I have a 12 and 16-year-old, so they're pretty independent um, in their learning, we still sit down and do, uh, sort of our family learning every day, but essentially what I would do is work with my kids one-on-one, um, but I would read together at the, over the lunch table, because we're in breakfast table, because we're already gathered, um, and that's when I would read, uh, some really good novel to them, and the novel would become the backbone to whatever we were studying, okay, so sometimes the novel would just, um, be its own, uh, entity, right? We're reading Charlotte's web and we're going to look up all the things and talk about all the things that are in Charlotte's web that are learnable, you know? Um, and sometimes they would be chosen specifically because, well, I want to study the middle ages or I want to study Canadian history. And I, um, would choose books to read to them, uh, novels that would make history come alive. Right. So, uh, so that's a very i would say still to this day that's my favorite part of the day and i I'm, I'm quite sure if you asked my kids well, what if your mom stopped reading to you that they would think it was like their oxygen supply was cut off you know because it's oh, such no. a part of our family culture yeah um uh, it's such a part of our family culture and even when i've had kids go off to university when they're home in the summer um they would sit around and listen to me read to the younger kids Uh, Oh, I remember this book. I loved this book, you know, and uh, it's, it just creates such a beautiful, um, joyful family culture, right. To be reading together and to really get the most out of what you're reading by, which is topic for a whole other um, podcast really is how do we, how do we really milk a book for, for all it's worth and how do we make literature the backbone to our study? But so literature really has, is become the the backbone for uh, family centered studies. You know, so it's covering a lot of social studies. It's covering some of our science, Um, you know, whatever comes up in the book that we want to explore.
0: Well, I am definitely game for having another episode just focusing on um, using literature as curriculum and as a springboard for learning. So, yes, let's look forward to doing that sometime. Um, So you've talked to us just briefly about that. Can you tell us about um, chocolate chip math? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes uh so basically um when my kids are little i start off just with a little cup full of you know 10 or 20 chocolate chips um and i dump them out and we count them and we uh add them and we subtract them so it just it's like using a manipula, it's like using any math manipulative right you have little plastic elephants or you have little, um, clips, or whatever it is you use for your math, except it's yummy, you know, and so you get to eat them at the end of the lesson. So, um, so I would just dump them out. We'd count by ones, we'd count by twos, we'd count eventually count by fives. I would take, um, two chocolate chips and say, okay, if I add one more, how many is that? If I add two more, how many is that? Um, and then I would, Uh, you know, do the same thing for subtraction, the same thing for addition, for multiplication. Okay, I have two groups of three here. How many is that in total, right? An introduction to to, um, how we work with numbers Um, and also fractions. So I would say, you know, here's 10 chocolate chips. How many would be half? How could we make these two sides equal? So there's two halves. Right. So just this little conversation with chocolate chips sitting in front of us. And when they're done, maybe it was a five minute lesson, maybe 10 minute lesson at the most. When they're done, they get to eat them. So it's not about performance. It's not a bribe. It's not um, something that they get because they did well in their math. They, it doesn't really matter. It's just, these are our manipulatives and they're manipulatives and they're yummy. So it's fun to do math with mummy. Right. (laughs) You know, it's that simple, right. Um, I think I'm going to go do some math right after I get off
0: this podcast. I know.
1: (laughs) Well, my kids laughed because when they got older and they were doing math on their own and, you know, they would, you know, say be in their room working on their math or whatever, I used to bring them like a little chunk of chocolate or some hot chocolate or a mocha or something like that, uh, you know, just to kind of um, remember, you know, where we started with chocolate chip math. And what I I eventually do, once they've moved past um, chocolate chip math in terms of their they can write numbers, they can write symbols, they can understand symbols. I just get a little, one of those little exercise books and I keep a little pile of chocolate chips in front of us and I just start writing out questions and using the chocolate chips if necessary. So, uh, you know, the chocolate chips are there and they still get to eat them at the end of the lesson, but I might write out, you know, three addition questions, one plus four equals And if they don't know, then we can, uh, use the chocolate chips. And I can also show how, how one plus four is the same as four plus one. I can move the chocolate chips around for them and show them that when you're adding, um, uh, order doesn't matter, you know? So there's some really, uh, easy, simple things you can do just using, just by the fact of having manipulatives in front of you, right? Um, you know, I had, if, if you were, you know, morally opposed to chocolate chips, you could of course use something else, but the kids are really attracted to something that they can, um, you know, that they can eat. A bit, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, but you could use raisins or, you know, one of my sons absolutely would not eat chocolate chips. He wanted butterscotch chips. So, you know, we can, we can be flexible here.
0: <laughs> well, that reminds me that, so when I was potty training, my, kids so my older kids i was much i had 4 and 6 years and so my older ones i was still you know trying to do all the right things and i didn't want to give them chocolate rewards and things like that for going potty and i would have stickers and you know all these things and and then um and it was a nightmare basically and then with my third daughter i'm like i don't care i'm just giving her chocolate she trained herself in like a day and then the older yeah. ones were, it's not fair. She got to have chocolate chips and I only got stickers and raisins. And yeah, life's, so, yeah. Life's not fair. It reminds
1: fair, me so. of that. No, I know. <laughs> I am yeah. just, but not and fair. Just, exactly. And something else, too, that I think is important is that uh, I'm, I'm not joyful every minute of every day. Of course not, right? I get mad. I lose my temper. I, you know, get grumpy, you know that happens um and i think that you know it's easy to always look at somebody else's life and think you know oh they're so much better at this or oh they're so much more well equipped for this job um you know, they're such a better mom than I am. they got no problems. Their kids are easier. You know, it's easy to look at another person or another family and think all those things. Um, we've had, you know, our fair share and definitely our more, more than our fair share, I would say, of, of um, life sufferings. We've had lots of events happen in our life um, that have been difficult to get through. Um, did I always handle them graciously? Absolutely not. And so don't think I am uh, have this magical gift um, but it has always been my ideal and my goal that that's what I'm working towards. And I would consider it to be something that I have to, um, take a look at every day of my life and, okay, well, why was I so grumpy today? Why was I using that tone of voice with my kids? Um, I think the, the big ace in the hole that I have that has been, has really carried me through this and made this a sustainable, um, journey in my life in terms of homeschooling is that i'm pretty good at the big picture and if you're not good at the big picture and you get bogged down with details it is something you can train yourself to do right um you can there's tools that you can use to be able to live in the present moment and keep your eyes on the big picture like what is this really all about and so i think that um I just don't want anyone thinking that, okay, well, I never get mad. I'm just a naturally, incredibly patient person, which is absolutely not true.
0: <laughs> you do have a brilliant smile, though, I think, which, you know, makes me feel more joyful <laughs> when I see it. But, yeah, so in talking about comparison, I mean, that's a real trap because what we're often comparing is someone's, you know, Facebook highlight reel with our Pinterest fail yeah. reality. That's what I call it. Yeah. That,
1: so yeah. <laughs> absolutely, you know, we have to be really realistic about um about what's going on in our own lives to be able to assess what's best for our own family and really only parents have that gifted discernment for their own family. We don't always use it to the best of our ability, but somebody else including grandparents um, and aunts and uncles and your dearest friend, they do not have the grace to discern what's right for your family. Only you, uh, and your husband do only you and your spouse do. Um, and so that's, that's a grace that not only do you have, but you also need to ask for it regularly. You know, where, um, where am I being led with these children and, and what is it I, I need to do
0: Yes, and that big picture you no. were talking about—I call that having a vision for for homeschooling. Because mm-hmm. anything that's what I how I describe it is anything that's day in and day out over a long period of time. You definitely need to have a vision to keep
1: your eye on. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: There's a great resource, actually, if I can mention it that I've um, sure. done myself and have mentioned many times over the years. Uh, if I don't know if your readers or your listeners are, are um, familiar with the art of simple or simple.net Tish Oxenrider. She she writes on, you know, simplifying. Yeah. She's lovely. Um, You know what you can do to live a more simple life. She's very uh, clear on that. And she has a wonderful um, resource called uh, developing a family purpose statement. If you go on her website, uh, it And just type in family purpose statement uh, into the search bar. She basically over a few posts teaches you how to get together with your spouse um, and the process that you would go through in order to develop your family pers- purpose statement, which is a really important tool in know and being able to know what your big picture is where are we going with this what is my goal in life um what is my goal for my family and it's lovely and so she tells you basically how what what process the process is going to look like how long it's going to take how to carve out the time to do that the benefits that you'll experience from that um and i really worth it if you if you are unclear on what it is you want for your family for you and your spouse and for you and your children it's a great tool and i would highly recommend going through that few hours of of over you know a week or two weeks of uh going through that process of distilling down what exactly it is you want um your big picture to be what matters in your life
0: and i'm going to put a link to her website in the show notes and also links to some of her
1: books at the bottom of the show notes
0: page as well So it'll be easy for listeners to get a hold of that stuff. Okay. Well, I think Bonnie, this has been great and I'm looking at our time. So I think we're going to head down to the home stretch. Are you game? Game. Let's do this thing. What has been your worst (laughs) homeschool moment?
1: Okay. Let's quantify worst homeschool moment. Um, It's a little story. Can I take a minute? Yes, sure. Okay. I'm bearing my soul here, uh, Rowan. Okay. So (laughs) I, uh, the same son I had that had a hard time, the same son I had that had a hard time um, uh, reading, everything took longer for him. He's a smart kid, you know, but everything took longer. He just took more time to absorb information, more time to wrap his brain around it. And um, he really dislikes math. He he always did. uh, It was just a struggle for him. And around grade nine and 10, we were, you know, we were doing algebra and he would, I said to him, you know, usually by the seven or eight, grade seven or eight, my kids were independent and he was not. And I said, it's okay. You know, and he felt bad. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I should be able to do this on my own by now. And I said, you know what, I'm going to sit with you and do math as long as uh, I am able to. And if that doesn't work, we'll get a tutor you know, we're going to do this, right? And I'm going to sit here right beside you and I'm going to make sure you actually learn this. Okay. So that I did that. So after maybe a year or so, basically as soon as we would sit down, he would glaze over. Okay. Uh, I would say it's time to do math and he would just glaze over like eyes rolling back. <laughs> and so at some point I thought, you know, he's a really, really nice kid. Okay. Real super nice kid. Um, I thought, I think he's playing me. And I don't know, I didn't usually feel that way about my kids. Like I would always try and assume the best of them, you know, that if they didn't understand something, they earnestly didn't and we'd have to find another approach. And I thought, I think he's playing me, you know, this glazing over, like he's not even trying here. Okay. And so this was kind of an atypical thing for me to think first of all, but I got to be in my bonnet about it. And I thought, you know, you are, you're playing me and I don't like this. So I started being firm, right? Okay, listen, you learned this yesterday, okay? There's no way, we went over five questions about this yesterday. There's no way that you can't remember this. And of course he would say, I I don't remember it. And over the course of about a week, when I had decided to take this kind of hard stand with him, um, every day I was getting a little more angry, right? Um, Because I believed he was playing me. And so at some point I got really mad and I said, you know what? We've been doing this same set of questions for a week and you are just not paying attention. You are not getting it because you don't want to get it. And I, I yell, I blew up at him. Okay. And, um, so a few minutes later, well, you know, probably by the time I collected myself, maybe 20 minutes or half an hour later, and I felt really bad because he is a really good kid and not any no kid should be yelled at because they don't understand their math. And so I came back to him and I said, listen, you know, I'm really sorry. I should never have yelled at you. I've been getting this idea that you're just being intentional about not cooperating about math with me. So, you know, I I, and I don't think that's true, but I just had that in my head and, and I'll try and p- take a different approach from now on. And he said, mom, can I talk to you about this? I said, yeah, 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 you, t- yeah, you can talk to me about it. But don't worry, I'm, it's not going to happen again. And he goes, you know, when you yell at me, I actually can't think at all. <laughs> and I thought, it's so true. Like, if our boss yells at us, our brain falls out. You know, it's not like we think, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. I get this thing you're trying to teach me now that you're yelling at me. It's become suddenly crystal clear, (laughs) you know. And so he was saying, you know, so, Mom, if you could just not yell at me, I'd really appreciate it. (laughs) And it was really, really a learning moment for me because – I think we do have to assume the best of our kids that if they're not understanding something, um, that we, we really work with that and, and, you know, try a different approach with them. Right. And so anyway, yeah. So blowing yeah. up at my kid cause he couldn't understand his math worst, worst moment. Yeah.
0: He actually sounds like he was, even if he was having trouble with his math and reading, he was sort of emotionally like articulate, like he could explain that to you in a respectful way. And, you know, oh, kids
1: really? Yeah, I mean, I would say his, his emotional intelligence was sort of way beyond his years, you know, but uh, yeah.
0: Well, let's let's switch gears a little then. And this may be right. hard to answer because you have been homeschooling for so long. Uh, what has been your best homeschool moment? And it may be a collection of moments. Uh, you
1: may give me more than one yeah. just
0: because you have a lot of material to draw on for that.
1: Yeah, Rowan. I would honestly say that my best homeschooling moment is a, is a, is a chain of events uh, when we sit down to read together every day of our lives, and the kids are getting out their encyclopedias and they're getting, you know. Of course, some days that falls apart, but the day, most days it doesn't, and the kids are asking questions, and we're looking things up, and we're exploring together the world of history or the world of geography or the world of another culture, and um, it you know it just makes my heart sing every day. Right.
0: Yes. That's what it's all about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really is. If you could go back and do
0: things differently, what would you change in your homeschool? And the answer could be nothing or it could be something and not counting the bad moment that we talked about. We already talked about
1: that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course there's the obvious things, obvious things like, you know, every time you lost your temper, things like that. Um, that you wish you could do differently, but that's a parenting issue more than it is a, a homeschooling issue, I would Great. say. Um, I, I might have challenged my kids in different ways. I would say um, I might've had them, you know, sort of challenged them to do maybe one activity outside of the house. Like, Uh, sport or horseback riding or different things we've done over the years I might have uh, pushed that a little bit more that uh what am I trying to say here so we always you know they always knew it was an option um but I would say some of my kids are quite a couple of my kids are quite introverted and I may have encouraged them a little more to say have participated in a a class and i'm not even talking about a school subject but maybe um taking pottery or taking sewing or taking you know um soccer if they weren't inclined to you know uh especially the quiet ones i might have um required a little more of them or asked a little more of them in that way so they had a little more went out into the world with a bit more um I don't know, I guess, uh, experience on how that all works. Some of my kids were totally fine. They, they went from homeschooling into, you know, a college environment and it just wasn't a big deal, but some of them were much more tentative. Right. So maybe right. a little and more exposure. Some have,
0: yeah. Some have a comfort zone too, that it's good to have them out of once in a while, yeah. but at the same time, every yeah, activity exactly. that, Every activity that we put them in is an activity that we have to put ourselves into driving them to. So sometimes it's a relief. Exactly. When we don't you want know.
1: To do it. <laughs> exactly, and that was often my, um, you know, my reason. And so maybe I should have pushed myself. I don't. There's actually one other thing that I, I would say is that um, I would probably have given the example of fitness a lot more. I think that um, it fitness always seemed like it was the thing that felt off the list when life was busy, you know, so I'd go through these sort of, um, periods of, you know, of really, um, taking care of my own level of fitness, right. Um, and making sure I was getting regular exercise and whatnot, because of, you know, because it's good for your mood, because it's good for your body. It's good for all kinds of reasons. But as soon as I got busy, it would fall off. So, um, I think the example I gave, could have been a lot better in that area right and of course now I am now that I don't have you know babies and toddlers and whatnot now that's become a priority in my life so um but I wish I had given better example
0: yes I hear you me too and I'm twice as guilty because yeah. one of my majors was physical and health education
1: <laughs> <So> oh really <laughs> there you twice go as much guilt yes well I know but- it's terrible <laughs>
0: what is one resource that you could recommend and why you've already given us some, some,
1: but do you have another one you want to share? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound, um, cocky or vain or something, but I've tried really hard on my website, practicing mam on my blog, practicing mammal to really, um, uh, put all the things that I have used and loved over the years and compiled them in that. Now, I'm I'm going through my blog now and actually revisiting all of my blog posts. I've started blogging about 8 years ago. Um so that things are easier to find. Um some of them are grouped, but if you type in anything in the search bar like reading or math or literature study or teaching high schoolers, I have all my like links to all the resources that I think are valuable there. So in reality, um that's what I would point people to because there are so many wonderful writers and so many wonderful resources out there that, um, that have affected me and, and affected the choices that I've made that I would, you know, be inclined to say, you know, go there and find the compiled resources there. Um, but Okay, also, we'll put
0: a link to that in our show notes as well.
1: Sure, just www.practicingmammal.com. No problem. Practicing with a -A C-P-R-A-C-T-I-C-I-N-G, yeah.
0: Great. Okay, thanks. We can just go have a look at those. And um, the next question is, what advice would you give someone just starting homeschooling?
1: Um, Mostly just to have fun with your child, um, that lots of learning happens through play, and you'll figure it out as you go along. Don't be thinking about high school when they're five. Just have fun. It's so
0: true because we grow into it, right? Like grade seven and eight, even we, we grow into that, but we don't have to start. Exactly. And, and if you're, you
1: know, you'll never get there. (laughs) No. Yeah. You'll never get there if you're fussing about it when they're five, right? It's, you know, I let the fun happen, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, when they're five, it's just a lot of snuggling and reading and like some little things and it doesn't take very much of the day. And you're just doing life. Oh, I know.
1: Yeah, so lovely.
0: Yes, it is. If you could leave the listeners with a word of encouragement, what would
1: you say? I would say um, mama's on your frustrating days or dad's if you're homeschooling. Um, But I think a lot of times it's the moms who really carry, you know, the stress load of what it is they're doing. Um, it's very easy to get discouraged. Uh, I would love you to just, um, look in the mirror, look at that face smiling back at you and tell yourself that you are amazing and that what you're doing is heroic and it's beyond heroic. You know, you've taken on the education and formation of your child or your children and anybody who tries to take you down or any event or any, um, book that tries to, tear you down or left you f- feeling torn down needs to not be part of your daily life that you you um, need to surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up because you're a hero a girl a boy yeah yeah thank you you're for yours. that
0: thank you So if you've enjoyed this conversation with Bonnie, she didn't ask me to say this, but she is offering a full-day video workshop on Homeschooling with Joy on her website. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. And if you don't have a full day to watch it all at once, you can take it in more slowly by watching different segments. That's not a problem. As this podcast airs, Bonnie is offering you, the listener, 40% off For limited time so depending on when you hear the podcast but when you hear it live there will be a code in the show notes for you at canadahomeschools.com and i'll have more details about it there so that it's accurate for you in terms of when the time is limited and when it comes out bonnie it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast thanks so much for taking time to share with us today
1: you're so welcome thank you for
0: having me My pleasure. You were on my list of if I could have anyone on the podcast, who would I want? And it was you. So thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Okay. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can find helpful links and show notes for this episode at our website, canadahomeschools.com. Please share this podcast with your friends and leave a rating and positive review on your podcast provider. This will help others find their dose of inspiration and encouragement. Happy homeschooling, Canada!